saith the Lord, praise ye the Lord. I even went King James on you there. I said, ye. Did y'all catch that? I did. Today, there's a miracle in the house. Many miracles. And I say that sincerely, and, and I want you to take this for what it's worth. Not because I say it, but I believe the Spirit of God would say it today. In the worship that was just taking place, there was a hand of God that was moving in this place. So many times we miss it. We miss it. We're sitting there, and, and I mean, it's wonderful, but sometimes our lives, our circumstances, what we think that others might be thinking about us if we were to step out and to move. You do understand, and I want to go ahead and put this out as a, a decree from the church. This altar is always open. It's always open. Somebody might say, well, you can only come to the altar at a certain time when they give a call. Oh, 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 oh. That means that it would be our altar, and it's not. Anytime God speaks to your heart and tells you or offers you the opportunity to approach him, and I'm talking about whenever his tangible presence is in this place, don't you ever look to your right or left or think about what somebody is saying to you or what somebody might think. You go to your Savior. You go straight to him. It doesn't matter if somebody's standing up here or what's going on. You can bow before him. You can touch him. If you remember in the Bible, there was a woman, the Bible says that she had an issue of blood. She's hemorrhaging in some way. And there was nothing she could do about it. She had gone to see every physician that she could see. And she was made none the better, the Bible says. But she heard about Jesus. She heard about this rabbi, as they called him, not knowing that this was God wrapped up in flesh, not knowing that the Son of the eternal blessed God, the true and the living God, had stepped upon this earth. And she heard about this rabbi that could, this rabbi that could do anything. With authority he spoke. He could command evil spirits to leave people. There was nothing that seemed impossible to him. For when he prayed, God heard him. And she said in her heart, if I can just get to him, if I can just get to him, if I could just touch but the hem of his garment, if I could just touch something upon his person, I know that I would be made well. She was convinced in her heart that all she had to do was get to Jesus and touch him. Just touch Jesus. I just need to touch him. Because the truth is, is she could have yelled all she wanted to. She could have asked all she wanted to. But everybody was upon Jesus. Everybody was touching him. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus as he walked from place to place. And the Bible says probably, you know, it says she pushes through to get to him. But she's probably on her hands and knees however she can. And she gets to him and she touches the hem of his garment. Probably what she touched were the tzitzis the tassels that were commanded by God, not only prayer shawl, by the way, that came later. Originally, they were on the clothing themselves. Not that it's bad to have a prayer shawl, I'm just saying that. They were on your person, rep representing your obedience and consecration to God. And she touched him. And this, people, I know we've discussed this story. This wasn't part of the message. This is, you know, you, you're getting this free. So, <laughs> Okay. But she comes to him and she touches him. And Jesus does something absolutely magnificent. He stops the crowd and he says, who touched me? 
The disciples looked at him and said, Jesus, everybody, they're thronging you. They're touching you. You know, everybody's got their hands up. He says, no, I feel virtue, power has left my body. Why? Because in touching Jesus, she didn't simply touch a rabbi from Nazareth. She touched the Father's heart. And in so doing, the Bible says that the healing virtue of Jesus Christ left him. Jesus stopped and says, wait a minute. Who just touched the heart of God? Who just moved God's heart? And it says he turns around, he's looking, and there's this one woman who's trembling on her knees. You know why she's trembling? Everybody says, well, that's strange. Why would she be trembling? Because she knew that there was more to this man, Jesus, than met the eye. As wonderful a miracle as it was, it's the same thing that Peter did whenever Peter jumps out of the boat realizing the miracle that had taken place with the catching of the fish. He says, Jesus, please get away from me. He said, I'm a sinful man. In other words, Lord, don't taint yourself by being in my presence. I am a sinner. I have failed. I have done wrong. You don't understand how far I've fallen. I know that you are greater. And I know that you are holy. Depart from me. And this woman, realizing the great mercy that God had shown her, trembles because she recognizes that God is holy too. Jesus looks at her, lifts her up, and he says, Woman, don't be afraid. Go in peace. Your faith, your faith. Everybody wants to make faith something else. Your trust in God, your belief in God has healed you. You believed in people. That is something that that seems to be more and more missing in the house of God. And I'm not talking to you individually. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm saying in the church as a whole, Jesus Christ himself said this, when the Son of Man returns, when I return is what he said, will the Son of Man truly find faith on the earth? His words. Faith is very, very fleeting. To believe God. The Bible says nothing is impossible to the one who believes. Many times that has been twisted to mean whatever I want, I'll just simply tell God I want it and then I'm just going to get it. Well, you want to know something? If your father in heaven is good, he won't give you what you want. Many times he won't. Let me tell you why. Because many times what we want is not good for us. And your father having loved you and loving you with a love that we can't even comprehend because it was a love that sent Jesus Christ to die for you and me. Your father loving you and me sometimes will look at you and say, no, because he's good. Sometimes he'll look at you and say, be patient, trust me. And other times as we grow and mature, our wants become his wants. And we begin praying those prayers that please him. And many times he looks at him and says, oh yeah, not only can you have that, but I'll change the world because of that prayer. Human beings, here's where we transition into the message. This is what you paid for <laughs> Human beings bear the image of God. You above all creation, every person in this room, 
I don't care how holy, I don't care how fallen, I don't care how much you got together, and I don't care how much broken you got. You bear the image of your Father in heaven. He gave it to you. And for all that might be said about the image of God, it is that which is in us that is most like Him that is His image. To love, to care, to do what should be done above what our flesh might want us to do. To not simply hear a voice that says, do this or do that, or, or, or our instincts might tell us to do, but to hear that other voice deep down inside of us that tells us what we ought to do. It is His image in you and me. To all of creation, we represent the holy. And you, being believers, have His Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus does not simply give you a different desire. He comes and he lives inside of you. God has taken residency up inside each one of you. And he longs for this creation that he has made for other human beings that are out there that have been robbed of life, that are devoured, that are eaten up. Many lives, so many lives, absolutely destroyed by what sin and Satan has wanted to do to them and has done to them. And you stand in this world as a reminder and to stand up against the flood of sin and against the evil in this world and to stand up and to show the world what God expects of you and me. To be better. To come out from among them and be separate. Not so that you can be holier than thou, but that you can love them and show them the nature of your Father in heaven. That they will learn not to destroy, but to love to show grace, to stand firm, to be other than like our Father in heaven, to be holy even as He is holy. That's what God wants. That's what God longs for. God has put so much into us. And it is not a burden. It is not asking too much for his creation to be like him. You know, as fallen and as broken and as much as we have sinned, God could have just written us off. He could have cast us to the wind, like chaff in the wind, just, just let us go. God could have removed his hand and left us onto our own, own devices and allowed us just to destroy ourselves. But he didn't. God sees more. God knows the truth. And God is set. If we will yield, bow our knee to him, he is set on saving us. He has provided a way when there was no other possibility that a way could be made. The only way was through his son Jesus. And God looked beyond the pain and suffering of his son. Dying a death that was ours. Receiving a condemnation that was ours. 
all the judgment that should have fallen upon you and me, he laid upon his son and judged him. Make no mistake. Judged him in our place. And now in Christ Jesus, who suffered, who bled, who died, but furthermore was resurrected on the third day and ever lives, never to die again, ever lives to make intercession for us seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. God, God wants you and I to know life, to know salvation, to know hope. But just like Christ Jesus paying for us and doing that, a love that we can't begin to understand, Christ calls you and I to join him. Calls you and I. You know, God isn't going to just step out from heaven and just make everybody obey him. To do so would override human beings' will. And the fact is, is love that is made or forced is not love at all. And you cannot forgive one that does not repent. But God calls you and me to represent him. To be that love and to be that light, to be that holiness, to stand for him. And we will be rebuked. We will be cast down by some. We will be hated. Jesus said they will hate you because they first hated me. If they've called me the master of the house, Satan, how much more will they say about you? But this is also the same one that said, when they persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you for my name's sake, falsely. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You stand in good company. And having done so to the Son of God, we fulfill his sufferings upon this earth. So do not look at your trials in life as those things that God has forsaken you, for he has called you to fulfill and to be like your Savior, Jesus Christ, in this world. It is all by his plan and his purpose, and therefore we must bear his fruit. Amen? All right. Title of the message, Leaves But No Fruit. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you're not already there, it will be on the screen. But I'd like for you to bring your Bibles in case you want to make notes or all kinds of neat things to remember. And I pray today as the Holy Spirit speaks and he speaks to your heart that your lives are indeed changed. To set the stage, Jesus has just had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is approximately Sunday the Sunday before Jesus is going to be crucified. So we've gone from a triumphal entry to screaming crucify him and nailing him to a cross in less than a week. So Jesus comes in and it says beforehand that that evening Jesus goes into the temple. It is interesting because there are three visitations back to back here where Jesus Christ himself goes into the temple. Now, one of the things that we have discussed, and, and we shared a good bit, but I want you to see this. It's important to envision what is happening, to be there when Christ is doing these things. But think of this. This is God 
coming to his house, his earthly house, if you will. The Bible says, spiritually speaking, there is no house that we could build for him, for he fills heaven and earth. But Jesus comes to the place where he said, I will put my spirit, that I will dwell with my people, that my eyes will be upon this temple, and that I will be with you and you will be my people. And Jesus comes in that evening and he begins looking through the temple area, looking at what's happening. And the Bible says the next day, what we're going to read happens. God bless the reading of his word. Praise you, Jesus. Okay, starting in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11, it says, Now, the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. And it says, And seeing from afar a fig tree with leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. Now that's interesting right there. It's not the season of figs. We'll come back and talk to that. In response, Jesus said to the fig tree, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Let's just keep that in mind for just a minute. So what's happening is Jesus, they're getting ready to come back to Jerusalem where they had been the night before. So as they're coming through Bethany, they're going into the city, I guess is a better way to say it. And as they're going in, he sees this fig tree, and the fig tree has all these leaves all over it. Now, the way it works in fig trees, especially in this area of the world, is that the fig will start forming before the leaves come out. And so Jesus seeing leaves, even though it wasn't the season for figs, the point is you're looking at it, and the tree is displaying I have fruit. That's what it's telling him. You see the leaves, you know that there is going to be fruit. So Jesus comes up to it. It presents itself in one way. So Jesus comes to gather the fruit. Now, whenever he sees that it's no fruit, a lot of people say, well, Jesus was indignant, he was angry, and it shows him having a pity party and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. A thousand times no. That is not the character of God. It is not the character of our Savior. And nor does it, it's not in keeping with the teaching of Scripture or the heart of Scripture or anything else we see about Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what I believe, and it is my conviction, and it is the conviction of many a scholar. And it is this. Jesus looks at it and he says, hmm, object lesson, time to teach. Jesus looks at that fig tree and he says, no more. No one will ever eat figs upon you again, period. And he deliberately, did you catch that? He lets the disciples hear him say it. Because that builds the, the entire rest of the story. Had they not heard, had not Jesus been doing this for a reason, it would have no proper meaning or context. So Jesus does this. Now let's see what happens immediately after this. Why is this story so placed in the scripture in the gospel of Mark? So continuing, God bless the reading of his word in verse 15. It says, so they finally come to Jerusalem. They come to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple. He walks right in where he had just been. He walks into the temple and what he sees there infuriates him. 
He sees in the court of the Gentiles, because after all, you know, they're not as important as everybody else, right? But now in Herod's temple, you're looking at 100, 100 and something acres, actually. It was, it was enormous. It was like 500 yards or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, the court of the Gentiles was enormous, and it was filled with people that were selling animals and changing money. Now, let me say something in defense. Were these things needed? Yes, in one sense they were needed. You had to have animals for sacrifice. And yes, there was certain coinage of a certain purity that must be used to pay your tax, the temple tax, whenever you went in. So it's not necessarily that the concept of what they were doing was bad. The point was is that they had taken the sanctuary of the temple, at least the courts of the sanctuary, and they had turned it into a marketplace. And not only a place where things could be traded out and coins could be changed, they had turned it into a place where people were being used, abused, they were being gouged for money. They were turning into a place where people were basically cutting up like any other supermarket or plaza of the time or bazaar for that matter. And rather than there being worship in the precincts of the temple, you have people doing everything but worshiping God. When Jesus approached the temple, he expected to hear music. He expected to hear psalms being recited. He expected to hear prayer and the worship of God as he walked in. And that is not what he experienced at all. Now let me put something and and just share it with you in context here. And maybe this will make sense to you. But I want you to think about it. This is the time of Israel's visitation. This is the time that all the prophets spake of and all the Psalms for that matter. They spake of the time in which God would visit his people, in which he would come to his temple. It was the time of Israel's visitation. If you remember, whenever Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, it says he began to weep as he looked over the city and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who stones the prophets and kills those that are sent to her. How often I have wanted to reach down and to grab you and pull you to myself as a chicken would gather her chicks under her wings. But you wouldn't have it. He says, you don't want it. You don't want me to pull you to my side. You won't listen to me, Israel. And then he looks at him and he says these words. He says, behold, that is, look, Israel, your house, which house? That house, the temple. That house is left to you desolate. That means empty. That means God is not there. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And you won't see me again until you can learn to say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That is, you won't see me until you can learn to love me. 
till you can learn to listen to me, to find your joy in me. People, I, I, I share with you sincerely from the bottom of my heart, that is one of the major things that is missing from the Christian life. Where is our joy in God? Where is our love and intimacy with God in this world today? We are so caught up in everything else that we miss what is most important. I cannot have life, experience life, no life, the abundant life that Christ Jesus has promised until I know the author of that life and love the author of that life. And do you hear it in Jesus' voice? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I send you prophets. I send people to tell you about me, that you might know me, that you might turn and repent. And what do you do? You kill them. And because of this, Jerusalem, your house is empty. As Jesus said, in vain they worshiped me. Teaching to people the precepts of men rather than the commandments of God. That's tough, folks. That's tough. But Jesus comes in this time of visitation. A time in which you look at the city of Jerusalem and Herod rebuilding the temple at the time. Actually beautifying it. Zerubbabel's temple. But whenever he comes in, um, Israel gives all the signs of a people that should be worshiping and honoring God. That is, to look at Israel, there were leaves everywhere. God had nurtured the city. God had cared for his people. God had provided. We forget that it wasn't too terribly long ago that all of these people were in exile. They were taken, stripped from their land out of judgment because they would not love God. Everybody has this question. Why did Israel have to go into exile? It's very easy. First commandment. I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they had more idols than Kellogg's got cornflakes. That's the truth. The Bible even says over and over again that they restored the despicable, the abomination of Ammon, child sacrifice. At what place in your life does it become okay? Please do not read too much into this, but it's okay if you do. Where do we get that it's okay to kill our children? Where do we get the idea that Moloch with his hands out like this that it was okay to burn our babies on? We still do it today. And we think it's okay. And God himself, he calls it an abomination. And that's not to be critical or try to wax political. I'm not even going there. God's big enough to change anything he wants to change. But what I'm saying is our hearts, our hearts, where do we think that's okay? It's not okay. We live in the United States of America. We have other people that live in every continent. Well, yeah, I guess we do have people that live in Antarctica. It's a really cold place. It's not high on the uh, holiday vacationing list, but there's people that stay down there. Knock yourself out if that's your cup of tea. Uh, But out of this entire earth, we have people that say, this is my country, it's this, and that's true. But everybody fails to remember and to recognize that the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to him. 
The earth is God's. I belong to God's creation. And as such, I am privileged. Everybody wants to look at the laws. They want to say, well, as such, we can't do this and we can't do that. No, 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 no. I will give you a new perspective. Because I belong to Jesus, I can. I can live in freedom from those things that held me in bondage. I can live in the abundance of His Spirit and the joy that He brings because He is my life and He is my salvation. He is my hope. He is my peace. It's not about shame. Oh, did you see that? It was Holy Spirit. Did anybody catch that? But it's not about no, 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 no. It's about shame. You can be free because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I don't want to go back into those shackles. Now people say, well, Pastor, have you got it licked? No, I ain't got it licked. As a matter of fact, God has reminded me sometimes that there are some things I really need to work on. But I can tell you what he has wrought in my life, what he has brought in is absolutely beautiful. And I'm grateful that he would be kind and save a sinner like me. So he comes. The leaves are there. And what does he find? Rather than finding fruit, rather than those spiritual fruit that God expects his people to bear, he sees people consumed with self rather than God. Have you ever seen this? Now, people don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that prayers and model prayers, different things like that, are wrong to say. It's fine. I quote the Lord's Prayer, pray the Lord's Prayer all the time. There are times in my life, especially in worship, you'll walk in the sanctuary sometime, and boy, God's presence is so sweet, it doesn't matter. You're just ready to pray from the get-go. Then there's times that you'll walk in, like we've talked about, God expects us to walk by faith. Just because you don't feel goosebumps doesn't mean God still is not God and that he still is, you know, not good. He is good. Merciful, gracious. All those things exist whether we feel good or not. And there's sometimes that I'll get here and the enemy will be fighting me, hair, teeth, and eyeballs, trying to stop me from worshiping, from loving God. And those times when I do get away, there's sometimes that I will say, Lord, it's by faith, not by sight. My Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, does that sound a far cry different from our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because there is intent and purpose in the prayer. You're not saying words, you are praying. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things that we miss in the Christian life. Our prayers become words. And sometimes we just are going through the motions rather than stopping ourselves. Now, I'm saying there's been times in my life, don't get me wrong, like when I've been sick and some other things that, yeah, it was kind of like I was going through the motion, but don't get me wrong, it was everything in my power to do those motions. And there is the act of the will that God does indeed bless. But by and large, that's not the case. It's not to be words, like Jesus said. You know, these people draw close to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This must back up what's coming out of here, heart. But it must become more than rituals. It's kind of like the Lord's Supper, and I know I'm belaboring a point, but I'll move on. But it's kind of like the Lord's Supper. 
Some people will have the Lord's Supper every month. Sometimes we have it on special occasions, things like that, but we never want it to become common in the sense that we just come in here, we partake of it, and we move on. We need to recognize that every time we partake of that cup and every time that we take that bread and we crush it between our teeth, the Bible says we do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We recognize that our Savior bled and died for us. May it never become commonplace. May we still, some people say it's nothing more than a ritual, hogwash. It's like baptism. People turn around and say, oh, it's nothing more than just a a little thing that we do. No, I, I guess that's why Jesus traveled all that distance to be baptized. No, it symbolizes spiritual realities. It symbolizes, I'm not saying that they're sacramental, that they're grace giving. That's not what I'm saying. We got all the grace we needed in Jesus. But what I am saying is that they are important. God would not have commanded it. And the Bible also says to eat of the Lord's Supper unworthily, not recognizing or discerning the body and the blood of Jesus. Paul even says many of you have died. Well, if it's nothing more than a ceremony or just more than a symbol, then why are people dying from it? They are acts of worship. They are acts of of obedience, and we need more than leaves on our trees. I need more than my Christian T-shirt. I need more than coming in and smiling at somebody. There must be substance behind us. There must be fruits worthy of repentance. Let's take a look at what happens. So he, he, he's upset. Jesus comes in there. He expects worship. The leaves are there. They're supposed to be bearing fruit, but that's not what he sees. He hears this lowing of cattle. He hears the goats, of the, he hears the birds and all this kind of other stuff. And he sees people in this court that was reserved for the Gentiles to worship. He sees everything but worship. So what does the Bible say? He went in the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturns tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, this is a far cry from what many times what we think about Jesus. But understand, God does not change. And Jesus goes in there and he's had enough of it. And I'll tell you what I think. This is my opinion. This is not gospel. Let me repeat. This is not gospel. This is not necessarily the word of God. But it is in keeping with it. And I think it makes sense. I think Jesus went there and told them, said, get out. And they looked at him and went, <clears throat> and I think Jesus said, oh, I don't think you understand who this is. This is my house. Yes, my father says, but understand, that's him. God right up his flesh. Get out. No, okay, I'll help you out the door. He starts throwing tables over. He's probably kicking tables over. He's probably doing whatever. He says, move, get out. According to Isaiah, as well as Jeremiah. It is written, this house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just Israel, but for all people. That includes Gentiles, court of the Gentiles. But you have made it a den of thieves. He wouldn't have called it thieves if it wasn't crooked. So he tells them to get out. And it says he would not allow anyone to carry things through the temple. Because think about it. You're coming through the temple. They're working, doing all this kind of merchandising. But he tells them no. Then he taught them saying, it is written. Is it not written? My house 
shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And it says, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. People, I I want you to see that because that is a perfect mark of a tree that has no fruit whatsoever. The very ones that were supposed to be zealous for the house of God, the scribes are experts in the law. They knew the commandments of what you were supposed to do and not supposed to do. They were experts in knowing the will of God. And they weren't doing it. And then the priests, the priests know better. And they want Jesus dead because they were too sorry, forgive me, they were too sorry to do what they were supposed to do in the first place. They were angry because Jesus called out their hypocrisy, their two-facedness, their desire for ill-gotten gain at the expense of the holy, at the expense of the worship of God. That kicks them out. So they're angry and they want him dead. But why weren't they zealous for God? Why weren't they the voice? So anyway, let's continue moving on. They saw how they might destroy him for they, this is interesting, I like this, they feared him. Yeah, they did. They feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he goes out of the city. Now, the next day, really quick, I want to just touch on this. God bless the reading of his word. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. It said again, dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. That withered away is basically this, has died. When Jesus cursed that tree, by the time they left the next day, all those leaves that were on it, they're withered up. Tree's dead. And he looks at it and says, Jesus, you just cursed it yesterday. I mean, look at it, it's dead. And Jesus does something interesting. Catch this. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now that in and of itself is your sermon. You've you got to think about that. He's saying have faith in God. Have faith. Not just the sake of believing, but how about this? How about truly worshiping, honoring, and believing God? Walk with Him. Serve Him. Don't just bear leaves. Bear fruit. Have faith in God. Because if you have faith in God, nothing is impossible. Things can change. And look at this. Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into sea and does not doubt in his heart, believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The mountain symbolizes the impossible. That's exactly what it is. Jesus is saying something as large as the earth, okay, coming up out of the ground, a mountain. Faith in God, trust in God, that is nothing. You can command it to be moved and cast into the sea. Now everybody wants to go running around and saying, well, I can do A, B, C, and D, and I'm going to start reshaping the curvature of the earth. Now, there is truth here. Do not get me wrong. That faith can do the impossible. But it is faith that is backed up by what Jesus just said. Have faith in God. Listen to him. 
You want to see the power of God? Walk with God. You want to see God change the world? Walk with him. Talk with him. Spend time with him. Listen to him. First and foremost from his word, but listen to his voice as he speaks to you and affirms the word. Walk with him, live with him. Everybody wants the blessings of God, the benefits of God, and nobody wants to walk with him into the darkness that God wants to remove from the face of the earth. Walk with him. Suffer with him. Be rejected with him and love him in spite of it, and God will change the world in front of you. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? Think about it. Not by power, or not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We must have his spirit. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter the talk we talk. If we're not walking, people will fail now, as, am I sitting here talking about perfection? No, 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 no. Perfect in desire, yes. Perfect in trying to serve and live for your God, yes. Our God. But I'm talking about that step. The step of a changed life, the step of changing the world is just that. It's a step. We want to remain here. And God is telling us to go there. Why? Because that's where he is. Let me move on. Have faith in God. You can say to this mountain, if you truly love and believe and walk with God, be removed. The impossible becomes possible. Be cast into the sea and it would obey you. And Jesus says this, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, believe. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Traditionally, or let me say not traditionally, I'm going to say the way it, was, it has been taught in some years up to this point is this. They talk about faith as if uh, faith were something other than. In other words, I have to have this rock-solid faith. I can't have any, any doubt whatsoever. I almost have to put blinders on, and I'm just going to say, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, and it'll happen. People, that's not exactly what it's saying here. It is talking about faith and trust, but it's just that. He says, do you believe that God is going to do what you ask him to do? Do you believe he is able? Do you believe that he will? There are things that we don't have to ask whether or not it's his will. We know it's God's will to save the lost. It's up to them whether or not they will yield. But do you believe that he will do the things that you ask him for? So many people pray amiss. It's either stuff they want, comforts for the flesh, or they just say words. Prayer lays hold of the will of God. Prayer lays hold of the heart of God. Do you remember that woman at the beginning that we talked about with the issue of blood? Why did that miracle take place? Not because she stayed where she was. 
That miracle took place because that woman, it didn't matter who was there, what was going on, she was going to get to Jesus. If she had to climb over people's heads, she was going to get to Jesus. And all she wanted to do was touch him. When you walk and you step with God, you touch his heart. Wouldn't it be nice to hear God turn around one day spiritually, hear his voice say, who touched me? Who touched my father? Jesus said, whatsoever things you ask for, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus says in another scripture, whatsoever you ask the father in my name, I will do it that the father may be glorified in the son. Imagine that touching the father's heart and the son magnifying his father in you and in your life. That's what he longs to do. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro upon the earth. As a matter of fact, I heard a scripture, uh, that scripture not too long ago. Uh, Mr. Thompson, I remember that you sent that out. God, to be strong on our behalf. Today, as the musicians are coming. Right after that, Jesus does talk about forgiveness. And one of the things I was wanting to add, and I'll say it kind of as a footnote here. I, I want you to hear it. As Jesus even says in prayer, it's not just about you speaking to him but it's about living in obedience to him he says so whenever you pray if you realize that you have a problem with your brother or your sister he says make it right it's kind of like the temple it's kind of like everything else if we're going to come to god and we're going to worship god our hearts must be right that is we must live in repentance repentance began at salvation it didn't end there Repentance happens every single day in our gratitude for a God who loved us and gave his life in his son for us. Amen? Today, I've had a lot of leaves on me, folks, and it's not just because it's fall. I've had leaves all over me. I looked good, sounded good, had Christian t-shirts on and a whole lot of stuff, but I wasn't living what I was supposed to live. God wants fruit. Some of you are bearing beautiful fruit. I've seen the fruit in your lives, and I'm sitting there going, my goodness, Lord, I hope one day that I can live up to what some of these people are doing for you and in honor and worship of you. But for those of you that do walk with God, it is a reminder today of our need to continually bear fruit. But for some of us also, we've got to get past the ceremony. We've got to get past the appearance to the substance of our relationship of loving, honoring, living in faith to God, producing the fruit that God has for us today. If God's dealing with your heart, the altars are going to be open. You don't have to wait for an invitation. But you can come down to this altar as they're singing. You can stand. You can kneel. You can sit on the front row if your knees won't allow you to stand. What I'm saying is regardless of where you find yourself in life and wherever your strength may be, there is a place for you here. This altar is for you and it is for Jesus Christ to glorify himself in you. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't walk out of here without him. Grab somebody. And today, if you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus Christ, we're still here too. There'll be people here to pray with you no matter what. Let us respond as God speaks to us, if everyone will please stand.
The altars are open. Without Him I could do nothing. Without Him I surely faithful. I hope that you've been challenged today. I hope you've been encouraged in your faith. Having walked with God, there is so much in this day and time that people desperately need to see the light. And I tell you what, sir, I got, I got to know the tall fellow right here in the middle. I'm looking at you. What's your name? Cody, when we start a football team, you're, on, you're starting, okay? I just want you to know that front. I, I like you already, man. I'll tell you what, you, you brought the wrecking crew with you, so I'm feeling good about it. But anyway... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just looked at you, I'm like, man, that's a big fella, you know. Would you like to serve on a security team? We'll get your position right now. Point you over there to Mr. Randy, we'll get you squared away. Anyway, moving on. Love you. 
May God bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace in Christ Jesus. Love somebody before you leave. You're dismissed. God bless you.